Alright, let's open our Bibles. I want us to start today from the book of James chapter 1. I want to pick up an issue which um, we don't often talk about in Christianity uh, concerning prayer. This is our school of prayer again. One of the things that we are supposed to do with prayer, possibly uh, more importantly than any, of, any other thing. We'll read the book of James chapter 1, which I said we should open to initially, but I want us to start from the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Where I'm going is, is verse 7, but I'd like to back up slightly. From verse 1 it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. In verse 2 he says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, because he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. He now said, no one takes this honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. But the same principle, he says, applies to Christ. Verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself, so as to become a high priest. But he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He says, in the days of his flesh, this is where I want, verse 7. I just gave us a, um, a background to let us know he's talking about priesthood and the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus. He says, in the days of his flesh, he offered up, that is Jesus, both prayers and supplications, with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And it was ahead because of his piety. Literally, the Bible says, it was ahead because he feared. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Being designated by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. I'm going to stop reading here. We have read verses 1 to 11 to show something about the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus. He explained that for you to be a high priest, the job of a high priest is to offer sacrifices for people, all right, to God. These sacrifices are the sacrifices for sins. And as said, every high priest understands the importance of those sacrifices and he cannot, you know, he can identify with the need for them. Why? Because he also, all right, is beset, he said, with weakness. And now, many of us, I mean, we have to bear this in mind, talking about, thinking about the Lord Jesus. We may think that he was saying that Jesus, I mean, we think about it a lot, that he was perfect and he didn't have any problems. But if reading this context, that will have made that will have disqualified him to be an effective high priest. The Bible says he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He understands the weaknesses of the flesh. He understands why people fall into sin. He understands the pressures that sin, all right, temptation might be. He understood it, all right, because the Bible says that he was that is he became flesh and blood like us. He partook of flesh and blood. That's what the Bible says. 
and then he suffered the punishment of death. That was what he experienced. What I'm trying to say here is this. For him to be an effective high priest, for him to be able to offer sacrifices that are genuine, that are effective, he himself must understand what we are feeling. You know, the way we look at Christ Jesus, we look at him like uh, maybe the Greek gods and stuff like that. You know, we tend to forget the fact that he was literally flesh and blood. He was a living person who the Bible says was tempted in every way as we were. We're not qualified in that. He said, yet without what? Sin. But let's emphasize the fact that he was tempted in every way. He had the same temptations. He was exposed to them. If you read the story of the temptation of the Lord Jesus in the wilderness, you, we often imagine that those are the only times he was tempted. Uh, the story I read, uh, if you read the Bollinger's commentary, he said there were, there were two different accounts, all right? All right. Anyway, the summary of it is that he was in the wilderness tempted, and he said, turn these stones to bread. He said, I won't do that because man shall not live by bread alone. He said, all right, jump down, all right, from this pinnacle, and everybody will hail you and know that you are the one that the Lord sent. He said, you shouldn't tempt the Lord thy God, all right? And then he now said, bow and worship me, and I'll give you everything. And he refused. Now, that happened, and we unconsciously think those are the only temptations he went through. I wanted to understand this. That was a summary of the temptations that he went through. Those, are this, that is, those three temptations summarize, that's my understanding of it, everything he's gone through. Before the father came to him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What he was saying is that this is my beloved son who has faced all the temptations and he overcame. That was even before he went to the wilderness. Are you getting my point? Yes, so he, that was not the only time he was tempted. And people think that after that temptation went away. It's not true. He finished the temptation. Then he was moving about his ministry. Then temptations started coming back again. One, the temptation jumped into Peter. And you see, people don't know what they call temptation. Oh, Father in heaven. You know, most men think temptation is women. Most good temptations are not women. No. <laughs> the temptation that kills preachers especially is <laughs> not... Uh, in fact, by the time a preacher starts committing adultery, you know what happened? He has already sinned. I don't know what I get what I'm saying. He has fallen for another temptation. That wicked him. That's why small, small things like adultery is now catching him. You know where they start falling? Let me tell you if you're a preacher. I will tell you. The loss of the eyes. What do we call loss of the eyes? I'm building the biggest church in town. That is the one, that's where you first fell. I, I don't know whether you're getting my point. You say, what's wrong with that? It is very wrong. It's called pride of life. When you start using biggest, just know you're in trouble. Largest, you are committing sin. Best, that is you already, that is, once you start using those comparative things to describe yourself and aim for something, you have already fallen. That is, you are not, it's not as if you are, the temptation has overtaken you, even though it's common to man. If you have a pastor and he's doing that, we'll be the first in town, we'll be the largest in town, just say, Pastor, I went to listen to more Pastor Banky and he said that you have sinned. Go for confession. Kneel down and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I, I, let, let me sit down. I want to sit on this for a moment. Sins come in two categories. There's a big sin that knocks you down. And then the small, small ones that you start falling into because you are falling for the, the big one has knocked you down. Do you know why God killed Moses? Go and listen to my message on it. Moses committed 
one sin. Which to everybody, what is the big deal? God, why are you so sensitive? <laughs> are you married? How many of you are married? Apart from my wife, how many of you are married? <laughs> okay, how many men here are married? Okay. Has your wife done this to you before? Why are you being so sensitive? Moses did a small thing. You know what they call small thing? No, but the instruction was clear. Speak to the rock. Moses took a rod and struck the rock. Now, you will think that, uh-uh, what's the big deal? Water is flowing from the rock. They are drinking. Now, I'm just trying to amplify the fact that if you don't understand spiritual things, you will wonder why God did what he did. Moses disobeyed one seemingly trivial instruction, and God killed him for it. It's interesting. God did not allow a second chance for Moses. He said, because of that single transgression, you will not enter into the promised land. And it was not a... It was not an impulsive decision. I know because three times Moses went to beg him. And God said no each one of those times. And finally he said, I'm hereby forbidding you from raising that matter up before me. Why did the Lord do that? I'll tell you simply. All right? I just wanted to emphasize something about sin. About sin. I'm talking about sin. What sometimes we call small sins are actually the terrible ones. They look small. They are the terrible ones. It's when a man has fallen for those small sins that in the eyes of man, okay, that are actually the terrible sins, that he becomes incapacitated, he becomes weakened, so that he starts falling for the small ones that we all know about. I started by explaining that when a man of God all right, starts committing adultery, that was, when, that was not when he began. He began with things that you and I think are small, comparing his car with that of the pastor next door. That was, where, that was the real sin. It was pride that entered into his heart, comparing the height of his church, the pinnacle of the church, to that of the church that came to town the other day, that these boys don't respect elders again. They have built a church bigger than our own. Are you getting my point? Then suddenly he starts a, a building program. What is the building program about? To rearrange the structure of the town so that he will have the biggest church. That is when he sinned. It looks like a small thing, but that is actually when the sin begins. When did that is the real ones? When he starts pursuing things that God didn't want him to pursue, that is actually when the problem begins. So the other things you start seeing, lying, cheating, stealing, do you understand? Committing adultery and stuff like that, those are the manifestations of the big sin that is inside. That's why I made a joke at the beginning that I call it the HIV sin, you understand? And infection sin. Because we know as a matter of fact that what we call acquired immune deficiency syndrome is one tiny virus which does just one thing. It goes into a, a man's system and weakens the immunity. Then every little organism passing by will make him sick. That's what I call an immune deficiency syndrome. So sometimes some of the things we call small. And that's what happened. If God, listen to this, if God did not take Moses out and he allowed Moses to live another 20 years, Moses will be the one to build his own calf. People just don't believe that. I mean, like, how could Moses have done that? Just watch. God knew him very well. God loved him very well. As soon as Moses did that, he said, forget, remove this boy. That at this point, his weakness has begun. It has commenced. If you leave Moses, you don't take him out. 25 years' time, he will be the one to build an ark, build a calf, and lead them on the way back to Egypt. It sounds unthinkable. Why am I saying all of these things? I know what I'm teaching about today, what I'm beginning to talk about. My message is actually addressing this matter. Okay? That how did Jesus... Now, back to where we began all of this from, before I went into all that digression. 
How did Jesus handle this? That's what I wanted to be, begin to look at in this series. Because many times we Christians, we, this is our problem. We focus our prayer on the things that are not important. We focus our prayers on the thing that the Bible calls vanity. We focus our prayers and arrange events, you no know, prayer events, on how to get more vanity into our lives. Do you get my point? How to get things that God com- that we declared unequivocally that that thing is vanity. Many of the testimonies we give, God doesn't want to hear them. That's I, I, I argue with, I disagree with, 100%. All these testimonies that I gave 50 naira, and I got 500. And the testimony ends with my acquisition of 500. My acquiring of 500. That's where the testimony ends. That is a very ungodly testimony. Because godliness has become a means of gain. Giving is godliness. Being kind is godliness. And Paul said it clearly. It is not supposed to be a means of gain. We don't do godliness because we think we are going to gain from it. He said godliness must be done with what? Contentment. What is contentment? Once I have done what is godly, I am happy I succeeded in doing that which is right. A brother came to me once. He said, sir, I have a problem. I said, what is it? He said, these days when I give to people, I feel happy. So he thinks there's a problem there. I said, what is the problem? I said, do you brag about it to anybody? He said, no. I said, when you go to pray, do you tell God, I have given you, you will give me back? He said, no. So the only thing that happens is that when you finish giving, you have this sense of satisfaction and joy. So he was wondering whether it is right to have that feeling. I shook his head. I said, congratulations, you just got saved. I said, congrats, now you're a believer. I said, now that the doing of good makes you happy. I said, now you're a believer. There's one minister I listened to once. He said, I don't know about you. He was preaching on people that people should give. He said, I don't know about you, but me, when I give, I'm uncomfortable. I, I wonder, I, I'm uneasy until the results come back in. I said, sir, you are not yet saved. He said, I want to know whether I gave into the right place. And what does it mean that if I give, let's say, let's use Naira now, okay? There's no Nigerian. Let's, let's say what he said is dollars. You know, it's as if I give $500, I'm watching for when the return of 5000 you know, ten thousand, a hundred thousand dollars will come, and then I know that that day I gave five hundred to Kemote. He was a fertile ground. I did what God wanted me to do, so it has produced ten thousand dollars in my life. Listen to me, that's ungodly. My satisfaction must be the day I gave him the five hundred dollars. I should look at the reward that is the result, okay, of my sacrifice in somebody's life and be satisfied. I hope you are getting my point. That is what it is about godliness. I told that brother that day, you are happy giving? He said, yes. I said, congratulations. You just got saved. I said, now you are a true Christian. It's in the Bible like that. He said, because you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. It's just what you love God is talking about. It's not the reward of it. He said, therefore, God, even thy God, anointed you with the oil of gladness above all your fellows. It is what you love. We must love the doing of righteousness. That's what I'm trying to emphasize towards again. Let me not leave my message. So back to what I was saying. So Jesus Christ is our faithful and effective high priest. For him to be able to be a high priest, he also had to be tempted the way every one of us is being tempted. I said to us, when we read those stories in the, the temptations, it was not just those three. 
He was tempted as a young boy. He was tempted as a, you know, a young adult. He was tempted, of course, until he went to see John. And I was, that's what I'm trying to explain. Many of the things we think are sins, small, small sins. Listen to me. When Jesus reacted violently, you know what I mean by violently now, like spiritually, at, at Peter, you and I would not have thought it was a serious thing. Think about it. Think about it. You are saying, I must go to the cross. I will be beaten. I will die. I will be punished. See all these people that don't like me. One day, the hatred they have for me will blow. And it will happen that they will catch me, beat me, strip me naked, and they hang me on the cross. And then your wife walks up to you and says, Honey, nothing like that will happen to you in Jesus' name. Does it not make sense? Is that not love? Peter, a beloved disciple, moved over to the Lord and said, God forbid, nothing like that will happen. And Jesus reacted violently spiritually. His reaction was violent in the realm of the spirit. He said, get behind me, Satan. It's like my wife said, oh, uh, my sweetheart, don't worry, not what happened to you. I said, witch, witch. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my point. How are you going to say, Pastor Banky is so hot-tempered? I don't know what's going on. All the woman just said is that my husband, nothing will happen to you. Precisely the kind of spiritual violence with which the Lord Jesus reacted to Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. By the time your Lord and friend who loves you calls you a devil. I know this annoying part. He didn't call Judas devil. Judas was still all the money in the ministry. He didn't call him devil. Me, that would just say nothing bad will happen to me. I was the one he called the member of Ubul. Jesus was tempted. Just that we do not realize many of the strong temptations that came to him. We are waiting for some of those small temptations that we have to face. And we think that that's the kind of temptation he had to deal with. He had to deal with stronger and more subtle temptations. Like Peter standing and saying that you will not go to the cross. Thereby saying to him, you will not do the will of God for your life. Are you getting my point? That's it. That's what happened. That's what happened. All right? He said that you will not do the will of God for your life. And Jesus reacted so much. Anytime you see the word tempt Satan, all right? You usually tie it with temptation, with accusation. Or you see the word Satan. That's usually how it is used. It's tied with temptation and with accusation. So that was what happened. Now, please, my, my, I'm trying to get down my, to my main message. So you see Jesus, all right? The Lord Jesus was tempted in every way. I'm going to emphasize the fact that there were major ways he was tempted. That did not happen only, okay, the, the, uh, in, the, in the wilderness. It was happening on a daily basis. It was happening on a daily basis. When they came to make him king, that was a massive temptation. The very last one, you remember it. Okay, I like the way um, Mel Gibson depicted it in The Passion of the Christ. Even though, I don't know whether it happened exactly like that, but I like this, the way he did it. You see him in the garden wrestling with the serpent. Can you remember that? If you have watched the Passion of the Christ. All right. Maybe he did not wrestle with a real serpent in real life, but he wrestled with the flesh. Are you getting my point? He wrestled with the flesh. He wrestled with the flesh. What happened was that he said that this temptation is serious this time around. That is, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass over me. That was the flesh. 
And that was why he had to go and pray. And that's where I'm getting to in this teaching. With all of these temptations staring him in the face, the Bible says that he was tempted in every manner as we are tempted, but with what? Without sin. Without sin. Without sin. What I want to look at again in this our series, in, in this teaching we are beginning today, is how did he handle it? How? We look at this as if you know he was the son of God. There are two problems we're looking at it from that perspective. Well, there are two facts about it. One, we can say it in such a manner as if to dismiss it. You know what I mean? You get my point? We dismiss it that you know, uh-uh, he's the son of God. He can do it. I am not the son of God. I can't do it. That's one way we, dis- we look at it, which is very, very wrong. All right? Listen to me. We talk, you know, we talk as if he could not have fallen for the temptation. Let me just say something to you. If he could not have fallen, it was not the temptation. Oh, if the chances are zero, it was not the temptation. The Bible wouldn't be telling us the truth if he said he was tempted like we are tempted. I want to emphasize to us, it is not because he was the son of God. Second aspect to it is that, okay, he was the son of God. What are you? That's the second aspect to it. So what are you? It says clearly, the seed of God dwells in you. You have been born Again, not of a corruptible seed, but by an incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. That same word that was inside him is inside you. What am I going to say? You cannot use he was a son of God as an excuse. And me, I'm a son of flesh as excuse. You are getting my point? Listen to me. Why he came was to take many sons to glory. I'm going to emphasize something here. Sometimes when I say theological people trying to argue, they talk about the divinity of Christ. And the, you know, I, 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 you know, I read a lot of stuff and listen to a lot of stuff. I hear all kinds of arguments. Let me tell you where an argument should end. Hmm? As believers. You know, we can argue on, on letters. But the spirit is shown by the kind of actions we are taking as a result of our theology. What am I going to explain? I hear all kinds of arguments that people will be fighting that this was heresy. The man was trying to say Jesus was all flesh. This one says it was all, all divine. One says it was a combination of divine and flesh. Divine and flesh cannot mix. I hear all kinds of arguments. This is why it, where it ends for me. Did Jesus commit sin? No. Did he? No. Now, what does that mean? It means I also can do without committing sin. That's the summary of it. Whether it was divine or fleshly or whatever was mixture, I don't know. All I know is the Bible says he came to take many sons to glory. So if Jesus came and did not commit sin, what he says is that bank you can do it too. That ends the argument. If he's not saying that eh, because of that, you know, he was like this, you, you always fall into sin. Then there is a problem. You have missed the purpose of his coming. My teaching today is to let us know that number one, we can live above sin. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Number two, there's a way Jesus did it and we can learn it. In fact, if you get that, those two points, we can go home and come back next time. There is no excuse for us to be falling into temptation and say, I can't help it. I hope you're getting my point. Why? That's what the word of God says. The reason why we, you know, there's something that Paul said. He said, there's no temptation that has come to you that is not common to man. That God will never 
allow you to be tempted more than you are able to bear. And anytime there is a temptation, look around, there is a way of escape. Sometimes, now what I want to say will make you laugh, but it's the truth. Sometimes, sometimes the way of escape is to jump into the fiery furnace. But it's escape. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Yeah. I will get burned. Why not? Will you be the first? I like what the pastor what you said that the one he was teaching. He was trying to define death. And you know, I told you, some, one lady met me a few weeks ago and said, now please, I want you to listen to this. I said something earlier. There are temptations, the small ones, is what human beings think are the big ones. So we fall for what we think are the small ones when actually we are falling for what is real, in reality the big one. Now, please follow me carefully. Many of the things we call temptations are only strong because we fell for the real temptation which appeared small. Let me explain. Somebody say prosperity. prosperity. Where does it come from? Now, listen. The Bible says clearly it does not come from the east or the west or from the south. What does that mean? Whether I'm a Nigerian, an American, a Brazilian, a South African, a British uh, citizen, whatever I am, does not m- determine my prosperity. Did you hear that? That is the word of God, true of us. East or West means whether I'm in America or Nigeria or UK or in South Africa, wherever I am, does not determine my prosperity. That's what, that's what East or West means. Now, when it says South, South means where I'm coming from. Where was I born? Which certificates do I have? Who is my father? No, forget me. Who is his father? You know why I need to say his? Because sometimes it's easy to look at ourselves. When we want to judge other people, that problems begin. I don't know whether I get my point. Yes, I want to marry a husband. Is he going to bridge or will be poor? These are the questions we're asking. You see girls who want to marry. If a man is an American citizen, a Nigerian, they actually think it is easier, it's better. Prosperity is shorter if you if marry the Yankee man. Now listen to what I want to say to you clearly. That looks small, but that is a big temptation we fall for. Once we take that, remember what I said the other day? Don't touch that scripture. Can you remember that? Once we take that scripture and throw it away, we have exposed ourselves to all kinds of small, small temptations. They now look big. You now say, ah, are you a Christian? Why would you sleep with your boss for promotion? The man was pressuring me. I don't know what I was thinking of. God, That was not the temptation. The temptation was when you went to look for a job there. There were two other jobs, good and nice. He said, but all of them are good. Yes, but this one, you had to lie one lie. You had to declare a new age. They said if you're above 26, they won't employ you. You went and swore that you were 24 when you knew you were 27. That was when you fell And that was six years ago. You have forgotten. And then now when that temptation now rises up now, that former falling, to lay claim to his pound of flesh, it comes with so much strength. You don't understand why you are just weak. 
a boss who you know he's married, he has two other girlfriends that everybody in the office discusses. He's not even fine. It's true. You know, there are some handsome bosses. <laughs> this one, his stomach alone annoys your stomach. <laughs> and you've been laughing at him. But when he came with temptation, he couldn't handle it. Why? You fell long ago. You fell long, long, long ago. Because this simple scripture says, not from the east or the west, or from the south comes exaltation. God is judge. Should I have told him that time? Sorry, but because of a job, I will change. I suddenly become. I will become younger on paper. Say sorry, my body can't handle it. You are not smart. Yes, let me be foolish. To be foolish before God is wisdom. Let them leave it like that. See where the strength to resist comes from. The major problem in life is that people don't understand the sequence. They don't understand the sequence. Like I said the other day. <laughs> this sounds funny, right? But is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with their brother Daniel. They say bow. They say we will not bow. Many of us don't want to bow. Meanwhile, we think it was the day of fiery furnace that problems began. No, it was when they were coming into Babylon. Will you eat this food or not eat it? Will you eat the other one? That was the day problems began. Many people, they've eaten all kinds of things. They are Israelites. They bring pork. He said, this is a strange land. Let's eat. Mm. God, what is the big deal? If you don't eat now, they'll be angry. They eat. They see them offering foods to idols. They will join. These are Israelites. They should know better. They will join. Then finally, one day, they say, bow for the idols. They say, I'm an Israelite. Our God said we should worship the Lord thy God alone. Only he will serve. He only. When you were eating, you did not know that. He said, I won't bow. The weight of the food will drag you down. <laughs> All the things you ate, they will put... <laughs> that kind of thing. Just bow, JJ. <laughs> Why? You've been bowing before. Why are you pretending? So our God will deliver us. Our God said, yes, I will deliver you. You go here, you don't turn to suya. It's deliverance. It's deliverance. The people who could resist, they want, even if he wanted to make them bow, there was nothing in the stomach to drag them down. They're just looking at the king like this. I will burn you. Uh, not today. This is why, as young boys, they make the decision on trivial things like food. But we don't realize that that was actually the heavy thing. Those who fall for the food, they bow to the idol. We think the idol is a big temptation. No, the idol is a small temptation. The big temptation was in the small thing. I'm going around around the same point. I think I'm trying to emphasize it. This is the main message. Jesus overcame. Somebody say amen. amen. This is the main message. You also can overcome. Amen. This is a message to the end that you will always overcome. We are teaching the method of the Lord Jesus. There was a method he used. As our school of prayer, we want to emphasize that. So the Bible says in verse 7, in the days of his flesh of Hebrews chapter 5, he offered up both prayers and supplications 
with loud cries and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because he feared. I like that King James expression. What are we talking about there? The way by which Jesus overcame temptation was by, okay, let me summarize many things I'm going to get to, was by employing the word of God in prayer. That's the summary. In this particular case, we see it that, what is death? The wages of what is death? Death is the wages of sin. Now, when it says that he offered up prayers to the one able to save him from death, and he was hurt because he feared, that tells you something. What God did was to save him from committing sin. Listen, when you look at what the Lord Jesus did, look at the way he prayed, it tells you how he lived his life. When temptation, the hardest temptation he had to face, I've told us before, was going to the garden, uh, going to the cross. And when he saw the cross, what did he do? He ran to the garden. He didn't try to do a boju. I'm a man of the spirit. No. He didn't do that. He just left everybody. He said, come, when he got there, boy, stay here. And he went inside and began to pray. Go and read your scriptures. We don't have time to be going through side by line by line. These are things we all know well. The Bible says that angels strengthened him. Angels did what? Strengthened him. That is, he needed strength to obey God. If he needed strength to obey God, who are you? You can't use experience to obey God. You can't use determination to obey God. You use the strength that he supplies to obey him. That's how you handle it. Please. I was saying something at the beginning. Christians often focus their prayer time on the things that the Bible calls vanity. You know this afternoon, I was watching a joke on my phone. You know some of this you know, a short video. Of a man who came to a prophet to pray that his business was not moving. And as soon as he arrived, he gave the prophet an envelope. He said, that's my free will offering. The prophet looked and said, huh, it looks heavy, but there are so many of these heavy envelopes. You open it now. Nothing serious inside. So what is inside? The boy said, 100,000 naira, sir. The complaint was that my business is not moving. The prophet got up immediately, began to speak in tongues. He prayed for four straight minutes speaking in tongues without asking the boy, what do you sell? <laughs> Some of you have seen the joke. At the end of the day, he said, everybody in your neighborhood will need what you, want, you are selling. They will come, they will be buying. Everything that will make them your customers will happen to them. At the end of the day, but what do you sell? The guy is in a casket. <laughs> he said, I hope you are not around here. The man said, just, just down the road. I wish you could see that prayer. <laughs> the guy prayed by the anointing of God. Ah, ah, then the guy said, ah, trouble. <laughs> now, now, you know why I'm saying all of this? I was watching the video just now, just to make myself laugh, just not too long ago. And something struck me, that when they came to that prophet to pray, the man came with his sister. The sister was the one that brought him. He said, this is my brother. His business is not doing well. 
He has gone everywhere. He has gone to Babalao. He has gone to the native doctor. He has gone to see the Juju priest. He has gone to many prophets. And I told him that I have one prophet. And that's why we have come. And it dawned on me that the prophet did not notice all of that once they dropped an envelope. A man came to you and said, I went to... Oh, it was a comedy, all right? So, but you'd be surprised that it happened in real life. A man came to you and did not say... I mean, he told you that I have gone everywhere. I need help. Help me. Where did you go? I went to Okija Shrine. You did not first deliver him and preach the gospel to him. You are praying that his business will do well. His business, the Lord said, is what? Vanity. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. His business is vanity. And that's something I emphasize. Christians, we focus all our energy. And we preachers are the guilty ones. We go to church and tell the church people, tonight, the thing you have been looking for, you will get it tonight. Everybody, of course, we shout amen. All you are the one that makes me laugh. Hear all kinds of rubbish prayers. All the people that are holding back your promotion. Listen, that is occultic prayer. It's African religious prayer. It is not Christianity. All those prayers, listen to me. They are not Christian, they are not Christian prayers. If I read your Bible from beginning to the end now, they are not Christian prayers. I heard all kinds of funny prayers. All the how did they say it again? You will speak to the enemies gathered in the north. That tonight you release my destiny. You will say to the ones in the village, tonight you release my destiny. All the cooking pot where they have cooked your destiny. Tonight it will be toppled. Begin to pray. Topple, topple, Holy Ghost fire, scatter them. In every coven where they are calling your name, begin to scatter. It is stupid prayer. It's ungodly prayer. Only ignorant sinners pray like that. People who are working with Christ, who understand, don't have time to talk such rubbish. If you can call my name in your coven, call it. Call it. Be calling it. Call it some more. You know, I won't lie to you. Doesn't bother me one tiny bit. They used to call the name of Paul. I hope you know. In the coven. Let me prove it to you. Sons of Skiva, seven sons of Skiva came to cast out the demon. They said, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. The demon said, Jesus I know, Paul I know. Now, this was what Derek Prince explained because he understood the Greek. He said, the literal Greek says like this. Jesus, I am, you know, the word no, there's like the word for personal knowledge, acquaintance. This is something I know, I'm aware of. So the demon said, Jesus I am personally acquainted with. I know his name. I know what it means. And that demon said, Paul, I have heard them talk about. That's literal Hebrew, Greek. That Paul, I have, I'm, I have heard of him. What does that mean? They used to discuss him. Is that, is Paul, that boy causing problems everywhere. What are we going to do? Uh, when you see him run. <laughs> All the anger the evil spirit had against Paul. 
He took it out. <laughs> or seven young men and beat, beat the life out of them. They ran away, stark naked. Seven men, one demon. Oh God, what am I trying to explain? Christians pray prayers that don't, that don't matter. Ineffective prayers. They pray about vanity, calling more vanity into their lives. What is it? It's a message Benz car, but it's still vanity. Lord, expand my vanities. This year you will build a house in Abuja. You will establish your vanity also. <laughs> in Abuja. One day my sister told me that, ah, that the state governor is selling houses so, and they are cheap. And you pay this amount of money for a bungalow. Then you can pay small, small for a long time and the bungalow is yours. That's Nakure. Ah, so this, what she wanted me to know. Am I interested? I said no. She was surprised. Why? I could afford it. I said, but you see, you don't use your money to buy where you will place your heart. Where a man's treasure is, it's hard to be there. Yes. I said, I'm going to use my money to divide my heart and put it peace in Akure. I said, thank you very much. My heart is in Enugu here. Leave it. I don't care how cheap it is. I said, you think it's a, you're acquiring property. I said, you're not acquiring property. Now you have one more care in the world. And you think you have something. No, you have one more. Okay, all the breeze that blew in Akure since the rain started, did I check? Mm. <laughs> but if I had a bungalow there, when I heard tornado went through Akure, I would be calling, eh, eh, did he pass through a lagbaka? <laughs> <laughs> I told my sister, I said, it's not about money. It's about guarding my heart with all diligence. Some of these things you call breakthrough. It is cracking your heart open. Every earthquake in the, in the world, trouble for your soul. Why? You bought the house in Japan. You hear there's bushfire in America. You are calling your insurer. Uh, did he pass through California? Which part of California? And you think, and someone says, oh, this man is prosperous. He has a house in California. No, he has a care in California. I pray we reason like believers. We use a lot of energy praying for what? Vanity. God, this year, how can Okemuti have more vanity than me? <laughs> when did he enter ministry? You will pray that this year you will overtake all your other, your contemporaries in the vanity pursuit. Begin to pray. You've been to churches like that. Well, the main thing Jesus, the Bible said, prayed about, that you saw him cry intently for himself about. He said, was so that he will be saved from death. What is that? He will be saved from disobeying the will of God. That was when he prayed until he cried. That was when he prayed until tears turned to blood. That was when he agonized that heavens opened and said, angels, go and help him. Very few of us ever, listen, that's why I tell you that we can overcome sin. We can't, we can't. The reason why we haven't is that we have not yet realized that it's bad. We think that God is so kind, it's not a big deal. The Bible says he was head, Why? Why? Because he feared. He was hurt because he what? He feared. It was a serious matter. He knelt, ah, I like the story of uh, Ben Carson. Ben Carson was a hot-tempered young boy. He didn't realize temper was a big deal. 
The Bible says that anger lies in the bosom of a fool. The day he knew his anger was bad was one day out of anger. He lifted his hands to beat his mother. But good enough, his brother Curtis was there. And that one grabbed him. Morning number one. And one day, he took a knife. His friend said something small to him. He got angry and sank the knife into the boy's stomach. As God will have it, the boy was wearing a belt that had a big buckle. So the knife stuck into the metal buckle. And that was what saved that boy's life. The boy got up, looked at Ben Carson, and ran away. Because he didn't know what would cause this. Seriously, that that happened. Just, I don't know whether it's important, but one day I, I, I went with my chief to see the, one of the prosecutors in Ogun State. And he was telling us about one case she was handling, a young woman, a lawyer. 